Every one of us has two forces, two voices in our lives. One is the voice of survival. To exist and survive in this material world. We need to eat, drink, sleep, exercise, relationships. And then there's the second force, the second voice, the transcendent one, where we seek, we yearn for purpose, for meaning, for spirituality, for something beyond just the routine material life. What do we do with these two voices? They often conflict with one another. So many of us, we compartmentalize. We like have a life of duality. At times we dedicate, most of the time we're busy with survival, and there are the times we dedicate, weekends, vacations. But is this really a complete life? Is it the healthiest life? In science, we've learned E equals MC squared, that energy and matter are really one of the, and the same, just two forms of one entity, that there's an integral unity between matter and energy. And the same is true with our own very beings, our psyches, that there's really one fundamental integrated harmony between your body and your soul, the material needs and your transcendent ones. So please join me in discovering how to merge matter and spirit. Hi, this is Simon Jacobson, and we will be speaking about how to merge matter and spirit. This program is dedicated in loving memory of Yachel Liba Bashmul on the 10th of Shvat, Benish Getzel ben David Elio on the 22nd of Shvat, Kalman Mordechai ben David Elio on the 23rd of Shvat, and Miriam Leia Bas Harav Yisrael Nissen Sofer on the 28th of Shvat. Each one of us, without exclusion, without exception, has two primary voices, forces, within, each, within, within ourselves, within our psyches. One is the voice of survival, to do whatever it takes to make it in this world. We live in a material world, and we have material needs. We need to eat, we need to drink, we need to sleep. We need to exercise. We have relationships. There are so many parts of our lives that simply are necessary. Yes, there are some things that are luxuries, comforts, and are not absolute necessities, but a big part of survival in this material world is something that we are preoccupied most of the time. Then there's a second force, a second voice, the transcendent one. The one that seeks, the one that has some angst, is not satisfied with animal bliss, with the status quo. We yearn for purpose, for meaning, for transcendence, the transcendent voice. And it can take on many different shapes and forms. 
It could be through romance and love. It could be through music and art, through travel and other interests that somewhat feed our souls. Now, what do we do with these two voices, with these two forces? So in most cases, if we do think about it, we end up compartmentalizing. Most of the time we're involved in our material lives, and that includes, as I said, meals, sleep. We sleep a third of our lives, or asleep. If you sleep eight hours a day, eight out of 24 hours is a third of the day. If you're a little less, it's a little less. If you start adding up the times that we spend commuting, shopping, grooming, and many other things, they all go into that category of material survival. And then the transcendent needs, so we have our hobbies, we have our interests, we have our passions. I listed some of them before, and there's others as well. You could include faith, religion, spirituality. The different ways that a soul, that a human being yearns, seeks something deeper, something higher than ourselves. But the compartmentalization, we may be reserved that for weekends, the transcendent side, that is, for vacation. But to say we have an integrated life, what we'll be calling the voice of your body and the voice of your soul, body and spirit, that's a very rare thing, if at all. But is this the most fulfilling and the healthiest way to live? Is there another option? So we will be discussing exactly that, how to merge matter and spirit. Look, in science today, even though there used to be many different fragments or different ways of looking at the universe, and many did see it in a form of a duality, but we've come closer and closer to unifying, unifying principles. Take Einstein's most famous equation, E equals mc squared. Energy and matter, which seem to be two different entities. Matter is what we identify in a very tangible way. Energy is, is the energy within. But now we know that energy and matter are reversible. They're actually the same thing, just two different forms. When you take water, for example, and you heat it and it turns into gas, or you freeze it and it turns into ice, these are just three forms of the same thing. Nothing changed, just the temperature. So in effect, really, matter and energy are truly one. But they appear to us, and they do manifest in two different ways. So too in the human spirit, in the psyche, the truth is that we are also one unified entity that consists of two dimensions. And when you learn the formula and the secret of how they truly are two dimensions of one reality, and then f- and the formula of how to implement that in your life, everything changes. You're not living a fragmented or disjointed or a life of duality. You actually can merge, can fuse, can join together the most material part of your life, the survival part, and the most transcendent components. And just to demonstrate how this can manifest in ways that can even be destructive when you don't know how to do that fusion. Very many of us, and I would say all of us, have times, and sometimes more often than not, where we, get, we have a certain element of an existential crisis. 
We're living, we're working, even if you're making money, even if there's no tragedy or loss. But still, at some point, routines get to us. You start saying, you know, you start getting bored, and a part of you feels empty. What do we do about that emptiness? So, there are healthy ways to address it, and there are unhealthy ways. We can begin to do all kinds of things. We go to a party. We experiment with things, things that give us a high, a rush. Now, we all know that can go in two directions. It could be of the healthy sort. You can find your soulmate. Fall in love, marry, build a beautiful family. But you could also end up having all kinds of one-night stands or other types of experiences just to relieve that need, to find some, uh, some comfort, but not any that's lasting. And it could even be ultimately turn into an addiction and all types of addictions. You could begin drinking, drugs, sex addictions. Now, why do I say addiction doesn't jump to an addiction? It always begins with a need. But you're, 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 you're satisfying something. That's why we have to always see any addiction, any obsession as being a symptom. The symptom of what? Of your soulful voice, your transcendent voice seeking relief, seeking fulfillment, seeking attachment. And if you don't find it in a healthy way, you'll find it in an unhealthy way. And you may not know it at the beginning because the beginning is coming from a beautiful place. Even later it may be coming from there. But what happens is you no longer are controlling it, it's controlling you. Now, if we were just mediocre, material creatures, that would never happen. You don't see animals, for example, getting addicted to anything. Because they live primarily a life of survival. And I don't mean that in a minimalistic way. They breed, they protect their young, they hunt, they feed, they train their next generation. And they serve their role in the, in the human stratosphere, in the entire infrastructure. You don't see them having angst or anxiety, seeking some relief, seeking some comfort. You also don't see abuse and violations and pain and hurt in that way, where that also creates a void that needs to be filled. So this idea of looking for something to satisfy that transcendent voice or force within us, if it's not properly integrated, it does, then you not only have a, a duality, but you have a tremendous conflict. Because you live your life, you're almost living like a double life. There's the life of your, your, your work life, your family life, your personal life, the life of, on the material level, and the transcendent is being fed and being fueled by things that are either not lasting or some type of hit. You need then another high, another rush, another rush, which turns into becoming its own monster in many situations. Now we know there is a thing called a functional addict. You can be working and doing everything responsibly, but ultimately that, that higher voice, that seeking, is not really being fulfilled. It's just being so-called sated, so-called, um, I would say, almost distracted and numbed in some ways. So let's talk about, so how do you integrate? How do you merge? But to do that, let's first deeper analyze who we are and these two voices and where are they coming from. So in my book, Toward a Meaningful Life, the very first chapter, I address this topic because it's so central to everything else, body and soul. 
and cite a verse from the book of Proverbs, a beautiful verse that really both visual, allows us to visualize and manifest what a body and soul are really like. And the expression is that the flame of the divine is the soul of man. The flame of God is the soul of a human being. So in other words, the closest approximation in the physical world to what a soul looks like, no one has ever seen a soul, is a flame. Which, of course, if you think about it, then the, the human body and our so-called material part of ourselves is like the wick. So observe a flame and a wick. Observe a flame and a wick. What do you see? The flame is something that is unnatural. Or I should say, completely unique in the natural world. What does it do? It defies gravity. Everything else is subject to gravity. The flame rises. And were it not for the wick, something to ground it, it would just go up, up. It licks the air. The wick is what keeps it down and grounds it. So in that context, what does your soul look like? It's like a flame. So think about a flame. It flickers. It's restless. It's always seeking and looking upward. A beautiful story told that captures this so well. So it was a great mystic, a great leader, a great Rebbe. When he was a young child, he was playing on a ladder with other children. They were climbing up and down the ladder. And his grandfather, the great Rabbi Shneur Zalman of Liadi, the, the, compo- the composer of the Tanya, and other great works, classics, was observing all the children as they were scurrying up and down, they didn't go all the way to the top. They were afraid to go up. This one child, his grandson, went all the way to the top of the ladder. Afterwards, the grandfather called over his grandchild and said, they spoke in Yiddish, he said, Why we, what, what differentiated you from the others, from your friends? Why did they not climb to the top and you did? And he said, Zayda, which is grandpa. As they were climbing, they kept looking down. So they saw how high they were. It frightened them. They were afraid to climb higher. When I was climbing, I kept looking up. I saw how low I was. So it motivated me to climb higher. Now you can imagine, that's why he turned out to be such a great leader. These are the two voices of the flame and the wick. The part of our lives which we call survival is looking down. It's focusing on your environment, on your needs, and how to fill those needs. The transcendent voice is the flame that's always looking up. And the difference is very obvious. When you're looking down, you feel how high you are, and actually... I'm, you're like not comfortable because you belong down there. So you're afraid to go higher. When you're looking up, of how much more there is to gain, you see the horizons, the more you want to go up. Because you see, I haven't reached there. Think of it like this. You have friends around you that are less accomplished than you, and you're looking at them. You always feel, hey, you know, I don't, have, I don't need a motivation to do anything more. Look, look at me compared to them, how much I've accomplished. But be around people who accomplish more than you. You're looking up. What will it do? 
it will create a healthy form of a jealousy. There's a healthy form of it. A competitiveness. A need. You have an opponent in, a, in sports or in a marathon that pushes you. That pushes you to excel. You're looking up. Now, there is a conflict between these two, and this is called the conflict between matter and spirit, between survival and transcendence. But now we've identified that there are two forces within each one of us. And they're both part of one person. And they don't have to be at battle. But now we understand what makes a person a person. Just look at the fact. Again, going back to the animal. There's an expression a Hasidic master once said, that the behemoth, the animal, has never seen heaven. They walk on all four. And even those animals that walk on two, they're primarily walking on four because their physiology is aligned with their spirituality, with their inner workings. They don't need to be looking up to heaven. Their role is to function efficiently in building their families, their homes, their protection, as I mentioned before, breeding their young, and accomplishing what they have to accomplish in this world. You don't want them traveling into space, not just physically, but also figuratively. A human being walks on, on two and we look up. Raise your eyes to heaven and we look, who, who made all of this? Where do we come from? What's out there? Trillions of dollars are spent just to satisfy that answer. That quest. To answer that question, is there something out there? Is there life on other planets? We want to go to the moon, to Mars, to other planets. To the big, to the big universe out there, solar systems. And we explore. That's human nature. That's that transcendent voice. That transcendent force within us. And it's necessary, that's what defines the human beings. So the next time you're restless, know that's the healthy you. Now restlessness, there's a balanced restlessness, a healthy angst, and then it could spill over into anxiety. Like I always share, the cardiologist would come to my class. Sweetest guy, but he had a very difficult life on a personal level, on many other levels. And he always sometimes would just cry to me and say, Please pray, bless me, that I have one day of peace. So he had a good sense of humor, so I said, you mean like a uh, flat line? She said, no, no, no. You know, in a cardiogram, a flat line is not a good sign. A heartbeat is a wave. A healthy heartbeat is a perfect wave. Perfect peaks and perfect valleys. You don't want flat. You don't want so much bliss and peace, and then there's no life is the pulsating action. Now, if the peaks are too high and the valleys are too low, that's deep anxiety or deep depression and everything in between. So life is, this is life. So the idea of having body and soul, actually they balance out each other. The flame without the wick would expire. The wick without a flame does not have anything to seek. There's no restlessness, there's no flickering, there's no reaching, there's no yearning, there's no dreaming. Imagine no dreaming. Imagine no ability to envision a better life, a better world. So you need both. The expression, the Kabbalistic, the Kabbalistic text taken from a verse in the book of Ezekiel, and the energy ran to and fro. 
Another way of putting it is tension and resolution. All energy needs to do that. The flicker of the flame. It rises and falls, rises and falls. So the proper balance is only achieved when you have the two. So they're not a battle with each other. They actually complement each other. And we should see it as such. The challenge is not allowing one to dominate over the other. The truth is the spirit should be the, the prominent force. But it needs that grounding as well. Sometimes you can completely burn out. I'm always fascinated by the tragedy. That's why maybe fascinating and tragedy doesn't go hand in hand, but you'll see what I mean. When I hear about the geniuses, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, almost all the same age, 24, OD'd. Now you wonder, they were at the peak of their careers. But remember, when you have that live soul, that genius soul, and you only can go up and you can't come back down and return, it can be extremely challenging. And to the point, whether it's deliberate or not deliberate, where you don't have the balance, and, that, and it can lead to tragic results. There's, of course, the other extreme. People are so involved in their materialistic lives, and they think they're successful in everything that they don't feed their souls. Well, it'll, it, it'll always come around. There's always a need, we know, because it's a part of who we are. It's not some, some indulgence or some luxury or some optional, opt- arbitrary activity. It's who you are. And that's why it's so vital to understand that you are made of this. We have a body and a soul. We have matter and spirit. So it behooves us to understand these two forces and understand how they complement each other. And they actually can become one. Fusion. But to do so, let's look at different approaches. So throughout history, if you look at different schools of thought, so some focus much more on be, live, a, live a survival life. When I say survival, it doesn't mean minimalistic can become very wealthy and still be in the form of survival, which is focusing on your existence. Satisfy your transcendental yearnings and cravings through the different ways I mentioned before or other ways. And that's uh, be an ethical person. Other schools of thought go the other way. That the ultimate life is to separate yourself from material world. Yes, survive on a minimum, but don't get caught up in the marketplace potential corruption or actual corruption of Wall Street and so on. And I just mean that figuratively. You know, go off into a meadow, go up on a mountain, live a peaceful life, but a peaceful life that is seeking transcendence. And this you find mystics, poets, many bohemians choose that approach. So there what you have is not really emerging. You're really leaning toward one over the other. But there's a third approach. And the third approach is that since they both complement each other and part of one, we discover there's a third dimension that's neither matter or spirit and therefore it can join them together. So the only real solution in this third approach is spiritualizing the material. Not just tolerating it as a necessary evil or just a necessity in life. Not escaping from it, but engaging and transforming, spiritualizing the material. 
keeping your feet firmly planted on the ground, but your head in the clouds. So how do you spiritualize the material? By understanding, going back to the analogy, that the wick is the fuel for the flame. The flame needs the wick. But what's happening when a wick begins to burn and the fuel begins to fuel the fire? The very matter of the wick is now becoming absorbed with something that's transcendent. And what is that in our personal lives? That even when you eat a simple meal or drink a cup of water or go to work or any other things that go into the category of the survival material voice or force in your life, you're looking to see, you're seeking and looking to release the divine sparks, the spiritual sparks within it. You eat a piece of food. And not just because you're hungry, not just because you're hungry and you're indulging. You think of the food. The food is also a part of existence. The food has potential. The Kabbalists call it these divine, these spiritual sparks. The words of the Bible. That not on bread alone does a person live, but on the spark of the, the, the words of God within that piece of bread. So there's energy in the bread. And as a matter of fact, when you consume it and digest it, what will happen? The waste will be discarded. The rest will be turned. The nutrients will become part of your flesh and blood. Yes, your very blood. The energy of your life is fueled by that piece of bread and every food. So what does that mean that is on a physical level. What does that mean on a spiritual level? That you think about when you eat the food, eat it with a certain type of refinement. Not just because you're hungry. Recognizing and dedicating, saying a blessing. Thank you. Showing gratitude. Not taking it for granted. And above all, saying to yourself, the energy I get from this food, I shall use for constructive purposes. And then the piece of food, the physical piece of food, that hasn't just become part of your flesh and blood, it's also become part of your spiritual mission in life. Because its energy, like the fuel of the wick, is fueling your soul's aspirations. You're walking into, it's a very hot day. You walk into an apple field, an apple trees, and you see this luscious apple speaking to you is dripping with moisture and you really want to have it. So you have three options. You can say, what right do I have to tear this apple off the tree? Though I need it. Option two, the other extreme. Well, who cares? I'm hungry. You just grab the apple and just eat it and feel it somewhat refreshed. And option number three. You think about it. This apple on the tree it will fulfill its purpose. But if I eat it, and the energy I use is to help another person and change a little part of the world in some way, the apple has now become a partner. And that is the ultimate integration. So if you think of it, it's really a way of looking at life. That even when you walk the streets, there's an expression, again, from one of the Hasidic masters, that when a wicked person walks on the street, the cobblestones cry out, what right do you have to walk on me? To trample on me? I never transgressed. I never did something to hurt someone. You're a wicked person. You've hurt people. Why are you walking on me? On the other hand, when a righteous person walks, then the stones say, I would love to be part of your journey. 
I would love to be part of your mission in life. Because as stones on the ground, yes, I'm living a life I've not hurt anyone. But I want to grow. I want to elevate. And this is the language. This is how the mystics talk about the universe. Even though we understand stones don't speak physically. But they speak spiritually. And that's their approach that a human being has to have to life. So there you have the third approach. It's not escapism. It's not indulgence. It's recognizing that we need to spiritualize the material. Matter being turned into energy. Matter being turned into spirit. And the spirit is infusing the matter with that deeper purpose. When you think about it, it's such an eloquent way of looking at life. However, there is a battle, there is a challenge, because when we are hungry, and I mean that on all levels, when we are tempted and seduced by the different forces around us, by different things we see and hear, we can forget the purpose of our lives and just grab whatever it is, even at the expense of another. And look what people happens what, through greed, selfishness, narcissism, ultimately leading to a divisive and even a war and battles that we fight with each other. Individuals, communities, nations. But that's not the way it was meant to be. The purpose of this was meant to, the purpose of this so-called two different voices, two different realities was meant for us to integrate them and turn them into one. And you begin with yourself. When you can create that mindset and that heart set, and you align your cognitive, emotional, and behavioral faculties to this approach, your life changes. Besides the fact that human beings abhor disjointedness, fragmentation, disorganization, and this allows you to actually integrate it also creates a certain seamlessness. You don't have to be focusing on figuring out how to deal with that, with the tensions between matter and spirit. And here I mean tension differently than what I said earlier. Because you're focusing actually on how to integrate. And every part of your life then becomes part of one purpose. It's like one mission statement that drives every aspect of your life. From the smallest detail, minute detail in the material world, to the most important and highest spiritual and transcendent aspiration. Now I know it sounds beautiful as we say it on paper, but you can easily do it every moment of your life. You can begin right now. Because this isn't about necessarily dramatics and fireworks. It's even the small little things. You wake up in the morning, you feel refreshed, hopefully. You say, thank you for returning my soul to me. You're acknowledging, you're stating, you're declaring the mission of your day, the mission of your life. You're renewing your contract. You acknowledge and give thanks to the different blessings in your life. Health. I can see, I can hear, I can walk, I can talk. And all the other blessings. You think about it, your mind, you feel it, and you act on it through acts of kindness. And then when you do begin to involve the material world, whether you're going to shower, exercise, shower, eat breakfast, a coffee, commute, or work from home, 
get involved with people, always think, how can this be, in addition to whatever I'm accomplishing, also, how is this a spiritual opportunity that I can realize? You're always thinking in that way, in a proactive way, that everything you engage with, everything you interact with, and for that matter, even something unpleasant, even something that comes your way that you would rather not have. What do I learn from this? What is the opportunity here? How can I turn this into a positive? How can I grow? How can others grow? Every conversation, every interaction. And this does not have to be intense in the way where you're constantly vigilant and say, okay, what is the next spiritual opportunity? Ultimately, this becomes a natural way of looking at life. Just like a a business person, a person who owns a business, wherever they go, they're looking for clients and customers and vendors and networking and and, and potential partners and collaborations. Why? Because that's what their life is about. This is my thing that I'm building. So I'm always looking for opportunities how to make it better. We have to be spiritual opportunists. That wherever we go, we're seeking out the sparks, the the spiritual opportunities. We're seeking to release, to redeem, to free the sparks within matter and turning matter into energy, matter into spirit. Spiritualizing the material world. But not in a way where we escape from it, we engage. We're, we are there, but we're not of it. Because as Einstein, I believe, said, you cannot solve a problem from within the system that created the problem. So you need to have that transcendent force that helps us elevate. It's somewhat outside of the material that helps elevate the material. And they both inform each other and they both complement each other. And ultimately, a healthy soul within a healthy body. And on a collective and a macrocosmic level, a healthy world, healthy spirit within a healthy existence. Where matter itself, every fiber of existence, is aligned with its deeper purpose. Like a beautiful symphony. It's musical notes, actual physical sounds. But they're not just sounds, it's not just noise. Sounds aligned, and what you hear is the music. And you don't even realize the actual physical physicality. Of course you do, you hear it with your ears. But what is consuming you is the magic of the melody. May we merit in our personal lives to create such magic within our bodies and souls, within our homes, within our families, within our communities. And a concentric circles has a ripple effect, the butterfly effect. Welcome others into this type of approach. Share it with others. Encourage yourself, encourage everyone you meet to think this way, to speak this way, to act this way. And you'll see unbelievable results. It's a healthy way of living, the healthiest way of living. I want to thank you, Simon Jacobson here, Meaningful Life Center. Meaningfullife.com is our central hub website where you can find a full array of programming, calendar of events, mostly online, different programs, video, audio, you name it, on any topic. So please visit, please share this with others if you, as you see fit. And I'd love to hear feedback, thoughts, comments, suggestions, because we are, at the end of the day, diverse, but harmonious, harmony within diversity. Thank you again, and be blessed. Be well. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center.
Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.